Hi, Mark. How you doing? Um, welcome to the Bitcoin Source. Um, for the audience, for the world out there, let everybody have like a brief introduction of who you are, and we'll get into it. Thanks, Dadu. I appreciate you having me on the show. I'm excited that you're starting your own thing. It's fantastic to see. Yes, my name is Mark Stefani. I'm um, just coming off of a week of night shifts. I'm a physician, and so I just did a full seven days of uh, 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. shifts, and so I'm a little dazed and confused. But I'm gonna I'm gonna put my best foot forward here and, and try to bring a great uh, podcast episode. So yes, uh, physician by by training, 10 years in, and um, Bitcoin class of 2017. And I'm the host of the Progressive Bitcoiner, which is a, a podcast that's focused on how people use Bitcoin to foster uh, positive changes for themselves as well as their communities. Um, and that's been going on since December. And you were one of my first guests. And so I'm incredibly proud and honored to, to be here with you on yours. Thank you, Mark. I, I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, to kick things off, um, I'm always curious to know, like, how Bitcoiners have sourced their knowledge or where they've, you know, gained some insight on Bitcoin, you know, adopting it either, you know, from books, conferences, courses. So could you elucidate on like some of the books or conferences or courses or inspiration that you've had that's allowed you to be a better Bitcoiner? Absolutely. This is always a fascinating question to to answer. And there's a lot of great Bitcoin books that are out these days uh, that weren't available, you know, even a few years ago. But now being, having the benefit of, of hindsight, I think it's important when asking this question and not only talking to people who have been in Bitcoin for a little while, but also newcomers to the space is really to, to back up and ask, um, the question, what is the problem that Bitcoin is trying to solve? And Bitcoin is fundamentally trying to solve the problem of money. And so then one must ask the question, what is money and how do I better understand that? In in money, in my opinion, is a, a technological uh, issue. It is a monetary, obviously, and as well as a social phenomenon. And so you need to come at Bitcoin through all of those various elements. And that sounds like a very daunting thing to do. You're, if you're talking to somebody at a coffee shop or a bar and they're asking you about Bitcoin and you, you know, well, you got to first read these half dozen books and you got to read these other half dozen books and, you know, then you'll understand it. Like that's just not going to work. And so I think it starts with a simple understanding of, of, or question of asking the person you know, what they believe money to be and really trying to better understand what motivates that individual, what their worldview is, and then tie in what money is as it relates to that, their sentiments and their beliefs. And ultimately, you know, without a doubt, one cannot ignore the importance of what money is and the understanding uh, of how it permeates our lives, no matter how you, or what your belief systems are. And so if, if, if you've reeled that person in at that point, then I think you can really start uh, laying out various books and resources uh, to, to recommend. And so in my opinion, um, starting with, you know, the, the history of money is foundational. Those 
books, those resources are, I think are, are, are paramount. You cannot understand Bitcoin without coming to a better understanding of the history of money. And if you, if you have zero knowledge uh, of that, then I, I recommend a book called coined, which, um, I think is very well written. It comes with a lot of great, uh, stories, analogies, and is a great overview of the history of money from there. Of course, uh, I think it's, you have to read the ascent of money by, uh, Neil Ferguson, uh, that is required reading in my opinion. And then from, from there, you know, you can get into articles, uh, like Nick Zabo's, um, uh, pieces. And of course, price of tomorrow, which starts to flesh out, um, not only the history of money, but how it relates to our, uh, current everyday, uh, society and, 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 um, financial positions. So those are, those are the main books on, on money that I would, I would recommend. Um, if you want to go even deeper then there's David Graeber's 5,000 years of debt, the history of money uh, are also very, very good. But, um, I think you, I think you earn uh, certificates of completion once you've, once you've finished all of those. But, um, like I said, money is also a technological phenomenon. It's a psychological and sociological phenomenon. And so it's important to understand those elements uh, as well. And from the, the tech side, I think, um, not only the price of tomorrow is very important, but, um, books on technology in general. And for that, I would recommend uh, scale by Jeffrey West, which talks about, um, systems, complex systems that talks about, um, scaling, scaling laws and all those things. And, and what I gleaned from those books were basically, um, uh, to put it simply and, and, um, almost in a trite manner is the complexity of life and the law of unintended consequences that we, we seem to think of things as simple solutions, but, um, they are by no means, um, that straightforward. Matt Ridley's books are very good as it relates to, uh, technology and better understand the evolution of those things. And then innovation and its enemies is fantastic uh, as well from a sociological psychological standpoint. Um, you know, any book on better understanding motivation, what motivates humans, um, our biases, our cognitive biases, um, our tendency towards making errors, uh, predictably irrational, uh, books like that, I think are very helpful. Uh, in addition, uh, thinking in systems by Danella Meadows is, is fantastic as well. Uh, so that's the long litany of, of books that I would recommend. And once you've kind of gotten through there, you know, maybe you, you sprinkled in a few Bitcoin books along the way. And from that, you know, you, you cannot not read Andreas Antonopoulos's book, the internet of money. You're fantastic. The little Bitcoin book is a great way to start out from there. Layered money by uh, Batia. And then, you know, from my perspective and from the center left perspective, obviously, uh, Alex Gladstein's book, uh, check your financial privilege would uh, very much be the kind of the, the next step in your decision tree of, of understanding of, of Bitcoin. So long-winded version of, of your question. Uh, but again, I think it's really important that in order to know why Bitcoin is good, you have to understand why, what problem Bitcoin is trying to solve in order to understand what problem Bitcoin is trying to solve. You have to understand the history of money, what money is and all the elements that go into it.
Yeah, most definitely, Mark. And, you know, what I find most profound about your approach and the way that you study and source your Bitcoin knowledge is that you're very literature heavy, um, documentation heavy, and, you know, money is just an idea, right? And I think that by you stating some of the processes of why Bitcoin and what is Bitcoin trying to solve, people have to understand where that idea comes from and what that idea means to them. So I truly do get it when you say like, you know, people have to kind of go through the economic basics first before trying to really compound the understanding of, you know, Bitcoin as a whole. So, yeah, that's some great insight there, Mark. Um, that kind of leads me to my next question. So I'm aware that you're a physician by day. Um, you know, Bitcoiners are big on sovereignty. And how has the medical profession, you being a physician, how has that changed your overall look of sovereignty in Bitcoin and how that could transfer into your overall health? Again, another great question. And for me, it was the other way around. I had not looked at health in this way uh, until better understanding Bitcoin. So it was better understanding Bitcoin that allowed me to understand the idea of sovereignty as it comes to uh, one's health. And then, so if you define sovereignty as the full right and power, um, classically speaking, of a governing body over itself without outside influence, how do you apply that to your health? Or, and moreover, why should you apply that to your health? Well, you have to understand, again, that the the medical system, much like our economic system is not necessarily optimized for the individual. The medical system is not optimized for health. Uh, it is designed to treat acute medical issues. It is designed to treat disease. And that's not necessarily a good or bad thing. It is what it is. That's, that's how it's evolved over uh, the, the centuries due to various incentive structures. Of course, you could, you could play out uh, the counterfactual. If those incentive structures were different, would we have a different uh, system? Uh, of course, but we are left with what we, what we have. And so my emphasis on taking ownership of one's health is based upon that understanding that you will not obtain optimal health by relying on the medical system. That's not what it is designed to do. You need to take ownership of that, which as I tell my patients is, is both scary, daunting, but ultimately it's empowering because you alone have the greatest influence over it. And in, why is that important? Well, in the same way that it's important uh, to take ownership of, of one's money is that by outsourcing that responsibility, you are in turn left with the potential downsides of uh, mishandling, um, lack of understanding of um, all the other reasons that can be uh, problematic when, when not taking ownership of, of one's money. But from a, again, a health perspective, I think there's this sentiment within American society that we, we will be able to, um, we'll be okay, uh, within the medical system that it's going to, uh, manage our, not only disease states, but, uh, optimize for, for health. 
and again, I, I, I try to stress to people and my patients included that I see people on their second, third, fourth heart attack, despite optimal medical therapy and the choices that you make in your life, your lifestyle choices, what you eat, do you smoke, do you drink, do you exercise? How good is your sleep, your stress level? All of those have a greater influence over your health than what I do as a physician. And it has more impact on your health than your genetics as it relates to, to chronic diseases, such as heart disease, diabetes, etc. So you alone have the greatest power over your health. Why is that important? Well, it's important because everything downstream from your health is affected by it. So whatever role that you have in life, whether that's father, brother, um, your job, however you identify is affected by your health. If you don't show up in optimal health, you are not doing the best you can with regard to those roles. And so it's very much a, a um, hierarchy of needs situation where uh, foundationally everything else is built on health as a basic need. And in order to optimize every other role in your life, you need to optimize your health. And the person who's going to do that the best is you. And I want to fully acknowledge and, um, and, and stress that that is a harder choice, more challenging for different people, uh, depending upon their socioeconomic position. I fully understand that. Um, unfortunately, health these days is a very much an economic uh, situation. We, it becomes more and more um, evident that health is, a, is something that you afford. Right. Yep. I can afford to buy healthier foods. I can afford a gym membership. I can afford leisure time to exercise, etc. Many people don't have that, but there's always something that you can do, whether that's quit smoking, whether that's uh, reduce alcohol consumption, whether that's simply walking around um, uh, the neighborhood to optimize uh, from an exercise perspective. So there's always something within that spectrum in that something helps. It's about, a, it's about a pattern of living, um, not necessarily one single thing that's going to tip the scales to better health. So my message to people is, is this, the medical system is not designed to optimize health. We do a decent job of, uh, treating acute, uh, situations, trauma and, um, cancers, etc. But we do a terrible job at promoting health and, and prevention. And that's just the way the system designed. It's not some, you know, malevolent actors out there, um, trying not to do that. It's just not what the system is designed for. And so if you think about your health as a Venn diagram, you've got, you've got a big, you've got a big component that is the medical system. When you need it, you've got a component that is, uh, your genetics. Biggest component of that, though, is you and your lifestyle choices. And every day that you wake up, you need to choose those things that are going to optimize your health. Again, why? Because the things that matter to you most are entirely dependent upon how you show up to them. And that is 
dependent upon how healthy you are. It is your health is the governor on everything that you care about in life. And what that means is something that I see every day at the hospital, the people who, who, who give and give and give and sacrifice their own health ultimately break down and are unable to um, be there for their loved ones and the people that they care about most, which is an incredibly sad situation to be in. So while we may think that taking care of oneself is a selfish act, ultimately it allows for you to be the best person for others. It'll, it's, it's in my opinion, one of the greatest ways that you can show love for another person is by taking care of your yourself. So self-sovereignty as it relates to uh, health means taking ownership of, of your health so that you can, um, you can be the best person for yourself and, and for others. Yeah, most definitely. And you know, you know, I, I just love that I pose this question to you because when you think about low time preference, you think about Bitcoin and how Bitcoin is such a slow process over time. People need to really realize that as a Bitcoiner, you want to live to see this thing get to hyper Bitcoinization. You want to be healthy. You want to be robust. You want to be able to provide for your family and not be, you know, taking tons of medication or not being fully aware and, and, and in tune with your body. So, you know, you as a physician, I'm, I'm grateful and honored to get your insight on that because I think a lot of people are so focused on the rat race. They're so focused on making money and seeing number go up and they're not really paying attention to their health because, you know, health is wealth. And that's the first set of wealth. When you really sit down and think about it, like you could be a millionaire, but if you're bedridden and sick, it doesn't matter. That money doesn't really have the same effect on you if you're healthy and you're able to go use that money to do things and to give back to people. So, you know, I really appreciate you, uh, Dr. Mark, for, for kind of like breaking down that portion of sovereign health in connection with Bitcoin. Uh, my next question is, what are, the, what are some of the common misconceptions around Bitcoin and the progressive movement? These are the, the misconceptions are the ones that we're all familiar with uh, as it relates to the environment, as it relates to, you know, Bitcoin is just for criminals and money laundering, um, scams, Ponzi schemes. Um, there's nothing necessarily uh, novel from, um, I think, the progressive side that is different from any, any other group. Uh, there's probably a greater emphasis on the concern for the environment. Uh, within the progressive movement than there is, uh, say, the other elements. But I, I th again, think that um, this is a product of, of assuming the past is, is going to, uh, the, the future is going to be the same as the past. Uh, what do I mean by that as it relates to this question? Well, from a, the progressive side of things. I think we, we think that the, if we keep doing what we have been doing, if we keep trying to protest, if we, if we treat, keep trying to get into this, the same people or better people into political positions, uh, we'll have better outcomes. We, what has become crystal clear is that voting is not voting is necessary, but not sufficient. 
protesting is necessary, but not sufficient. It is necessary to try to reform our current institutions, try to elect leaders that aren't sociopaths, but it is not sufficient for change. Oftentimes what is sufficient is a systems change is, is completely coming at it from a different perspective. And so I think for many of us since 2008, 2009, we under, we've understood this, that we had our great hope in office and it didn't work. Right. And for many of us that allowed us to reflect on why in very much like the medical system, our current political economic system is not designed to get the outcomes that we desire. And we can argue to the, the cows come home, that, you know, about restructuring our current system and how we could better do that. But at the same time, we should not discount other means of obtaining the same ends. And that's the whole point of my podcast is to allow people to better understand that there's different means to the same end and we should not um, discount those. And, and so I think a lot of the misconceptions stem from that, that we don't keep peeling away the layers of, of our concerns. If we care about the environments, okay, maybe it's more than just rules and regulations. What more can we do to help solve this? Is there, is it, how does it relate to incentive structures? How does it, how are there te other technological solutions to uh, the same problem? If we truly care about the problem, we should be solution agnostic. And I don't think on the left that we are, which comes down to, in my opinion, um, a psychological error and, and bias. And while lefts, people on the left may point the finger at uh, conservatives and say that they are selfish in their behaviors, I think oftentimes progressives that are left voters are very much righteous in how they pr approach issues. I, why don't you believe what I believe? Don't you care about the issues that I care about? Why don't you? And you, if you don't, I'm going to judge you for that. I am not going to take the, under, the time to better understand your worldview, how you came to that, the, the events and uh, situation that resulted in those belief systems. And in turn, we completely discount um, other possibilities. And again, what I'm hoping for, what I am trying to push for is not only a little bit of greater empathy towards the people that you disagree with, but also a little bit more of a self-reflection from individuals and um, on, on the issues that they care about. For example, here in, in Minneapolis, you know, we, we had an ordinance excuse me, not an ordinance. It was, it was a um, proposal to the city council that would allow lower uh, rent housing in my neighborhood. I live in a very liberal neighborhood, but the proposal got shot down. Why? Cause it's very much a not in my backyard type situation. Uh, and this plays out in the research. We, 
we are okay with certain interventions if they don't affect our livelihood and our in our uh, economic situation. And I and I and I can say that um, as a person who has felt that way in the past and currently. And that's where you really have to check check yourself about um, why am I. I believe one thing, right? I want this greater good. I want to help others. Yet at the same time, I am I am doing things. I'm voting on things that don't see those things through. And why is that? Um, and, and and being honest with yourself. And you know, to bring it back to Bitcoin, that's that's one of those things that I love about Bitcoin is that I can selfishly stack Sats. I can buy Bitcoin, but I know that that also benefits other holders. And for me, that makes it one of the best, if not the best, um, socially conscious investments um, out there. And I put investments in quotations because obviously that's that, that worm, word as, as used with Bitcoin is complicated, but uh, we don't need to get into that. Yeah. And you know, there's there's so much vacillation with the left, the right, the progressive movement, people are kind of flummoxed on where do they stand on certain beliefs and certain disbeliefs. And I think that, like you said, Bitcoin is the best silent protest because you can buy into this asset and you don't necessarily have to have a political view of anything. You know, you're helping the, it's the people's money, right? It's mm -hmm. money united under math. So I think that as time progresses, you're going to start to see more people buying into Bitcoin, hopefully, and they're going to see how it's going to start to actually change the political spectrum. You have a lot of politicians now campaigning, asking for Bitcoin, utilizing Bitcoin, trying to get monetary policy in there, like Senator Lumens, for example. And I think that your podcast is a gem because even for you wanting to learn more about other people's opinions and their p political spectrums, I think that the Progressive Bitcoiner podcast is really opening up that window for you to go back and listen to every episode and to see how multifaceted Bitcoiners are and their approach to life and society. And I think that, um, you know, it's one of those beautiful things that a lot of people need to get on board with. Well, you're absolutely right. You know, you, you take, for example, this, the current discussion in, in Bitcoin Twitter land about um, uh, maximalism and toxic maximalism, maximalism and the culture of Bitcoin. And I, I kind of, you know, take issue with the whole idea of it because it pigeonholes Bitcoin into Bitcoin Twitter, right? Yeah. And you think about the millions of other users around the world and it's like, it has nothing to do what's going on with, with, with Twitter. Um, and very much becomes this myopic view of, of, of what Bitcoin is and, and to a certain extent, you know, uh, augments this idea of that what Bitcoin is to a few people uh, in the grand scheme of things on Bitcoin Twitter is what Bitcoin culture is, which is uh, garbage, is, is, is a terrible take that, I, you know, setting aside the, the so my point is that there's an asterisk there. We can talk about Bitcoin culture, but it's Bitcoin culture within Bitcoin Twitter land within the United States, right? So um, we need to take this broader worldview of what of what it is, and ultimately, what it, it is is what it means for the individual, um, and nothing more, nothing less. Hundred uh, percent. You know, Bitcoin means different things for different people. 
Um, why should your generation care about Bitcoin? I don't know if I'm 42, so I think that puts me on the young side of Gen X. Um, I don't know if there's a generational reason for my that's specific to my demographic. Um, I, I I would look at it again if we're going to look at, at it through the lens of my generation within the United States, then I think you can approach it from two perspectives that are complementary, in my opinion. One, if, if you, one is the, is the financial instrument element and to assume that the same means for economic prosperity, financial gain, generational wealth that have been present in the past will continue into the future is an error in logic. Much like one's health, to assume that my health is going to be as good as it was in, the th in my 30s to my 40s as it will be from the 40s into my 50s is wrong. But we that's what we do. I feel fine. I felt fine. I'm going to be fine. I've invested in, in the, these indices. I've got a bit of bonds um, and I've got a house. I'm going to be fine. That's wrong. That's wrong because again, what has occurred in the past is not necessarily to going to be uh, occurring in the future. And in Bitcoin very much is an acknowledgement of that truism. Um, and, and so by investing in Bitcoin, you acknowledge that uh, to a certain degree. And you, many people still don't understand that you don't have to buy a full Bitcoin, but I think any degree being a part of, of your uh, investments is uh, appropriate. And the, the beautiful thing about Bitcoin is that it is the same thing to uh, the person living in subsidized housing as it is to the billionaire. You are getting the same thing, right? You don't need accredited investor um, um, to, to get into Bitcoin. You don't need a credit check. You don't need all these other things uh, that prevent many people from the investments that are um, have benefited a certain class over the past 50 years, right? And so that's why I, I one of the reasons why I, I find Bitcoin so important is that every person can be a part of the gains that um, that will come. So that's that's the investment uh, thesis. And that investment thesis does incorporate, um, you know, a, a the element of addressing wealth inequality um, and, and everything that, that, that comes with that. So I, I don't want, I'm not skirting that issue at all. That's built into that, um, uh, view of, of Bitcoin. Right. Um, but the other side dovetails off of that. And my generation grew up with 
um, the infomercials about, um, you know, donating to uh, people in Africa and the fundraising things for Katrina, etc. I don't see that as much uh, anymore, Ukraine aside, but I think that was very much part of how we grew up as this um, belief and idea of helping others, not only domestically, but abroad. And I, I don't see that anymore. Granted, I don't watch television anymore, so maybe it's still there, but I certainly don't um, get a sense of that on social media um, or the TV that I, that I have seen in passing. So again, I see Bitcoin as that um, donation, as that fundraising, as those um, organizations that seek to benefit people uh, worldwide. So if you care about those things, then Bitcoin should be something that is on your radar as a means to uh, benefit everybody who's within the network. So uh, my pitch to my generation are, are those uh, elements uh, as they relate to, to Bitcoin. Yeah, and you know what's interesting too is like me being a millennial, um, you know, there's been a lot of campaigns around the same things that you're talking about, but I think that my generation, we didn't see the end results, right? We still see starving children in Africa. We still see people struggling in El Salvador. We still see people struggling in some of these other third world countries. And just for me personally, in my personal opinion, I've seen Bitcoin change people's lives. You know, I've seen Bitcoin um, help people with remittances in Nigeria, you know, help my family out, transfer money pair to pair. So when you say these things, it really makes sense. And I love to source this from a wide array of people and from different generations to get their perspective on Bitcoin. So thank you, Mark, for for breaking that down. Absolutely. Uh, my last question is, and, you know, usually the best question I say for last is, where do you foresee the Bitcoin movement going in the next few years? I have no idea, okay. Dadu. And you know what? I, it's a fun question to ask. Um, I forget the exact um, phrase or, or who said it. Maybe it was anyway. I don't remember. But um, that so much can happen in a in a in, in a year, but it feels like uh, ten years. Uh, Something like that. And, and that's what it feels like with, with Bitcoin. There's always something happening. But then uh, it also moves at a glacier's pace. And so, you know, all the institutional investors that have been promised over the past couple of years haven't come yet. The uh, nation state adoption uh, hasn't had the domino effects yet. And so all these things that were predicted, you know, over the past few years have, have yet to, to happen. And, and that's okay. And I think the predictions going forward are fun, but aren't necessarily um, helpful. What I do think is helpful is to think about creating the future that you want to see in Bitcoin, right? And that's what you're doing. That's what I'm doing. And what does that mean for me? And I'm assuming presumably you is that we want as many people to uh, be brought into this network as we can, uh, because we believe it to be a good force, a force for good, because we believe that it is going to benefit uh, the people who are currently uh, the worst off. 
uh, both within the United States and, and worldwide. And so you're doing that with your writing you're doing that with your podcast. Now I'm trying to do that with my podcast and, and minimal writing. And that's the future that I want to see in Bitcoin is that it brings for more people under its umbrella and over time brings them out of poverty is also, um, improves their, their lives. That's fundamentally what any intervention at any point in our lives is about. It's trying to improve our lives and minimize downside. And that's what I think Bitcoin allows for. It allows everything that is a monetary and economic phenomenon to, to improve in one's life. Uh, and as we, as I've argued, that's very much, uh, health is dependent upon that, uh, and everything downstream from that. How can we expect people to give a damn about, uh, climate change or other social issues if they're struggling to make ends meet, if they don't have, um, their health there to, to, to not worry about, uh, and in turn be able to care about these other things. I don't think that is possible. I think we, it's so easy to ignore these other broader issues. If you're missing that foundation, you can't jump from lack of shelter, lack of health, lack of economic security to, um, to personal, uh, growth and, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, basically working your way up higher up on the, the hierarchy of needs. You, you, you can't jump from one to the other. And so that's where I see, uh, again, Bitcoin as being fundamental to that. It, 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 it further solidifies, makes stronger that economic base for individuals over time, further lifting, um, their, their livelihood, their economic situation, which in turn has downstream effects on their health, which in turn will have downstream um, effects on who they are as individuals within uh, society uh, and being able to look out for others. Let me, let me try to narrow that down a little bit further. I don't, I think it's harder for people to give a damn about others when they're struggling themselves. Right. And that is fundamentally an economic problem. Um, and one could argue maybe to a lesser degree health, uh, as a part of that too, in order again, for people to give a damn about others, to care about some of these more existential threats, they have to be able to offload that cognitive burden. That is how am I going to make ends meet? How am I going to take care of my family? Let alone, uh, others, you know, uh, if you can remove that burden, I think what you'll see is the ability to care about others more, uh, to be able to care about yourself more. And in turn, I see that as, an overall net benefit to society, to the world. Yeah, hundred percent, Mark. And you know, I think there's going to be two profound topics that are Bitcoiners or people that adopt Bitcoin will have to kind of go through as a form of trial and tribulation. The first one is going to be um, overcoming survival mode, and then once you do overcome that, 
overcoming survivor's remorse. Mm -hmm. And I think that all the things that you're talking about, about the future of Bitcoin is spot on because so many people are just trying to survive right now. We had the pandemic. People are stressing about their health. They're stressing about finances. And the two things won't jive good unless there's balance. And there has to be balance within yourself. Your chakras have to be in line. Your health has to be in line. And then you can start to worry about your finances. And I think that there's so many people struggling right now. There's a possible recession coming. The price of Bitcoin is down. And I think that this is a good time to listen to podcasts like this, listen to people like yourself, the progressive Bitcoiner, and really take time to study and learn because everything is temporary. Everything goes in cycles. And, you know, what we're seeing now may not be the same thing six months from now. So, you know, I appreciate you, Mark, for really, really giving deep insight into health, Bitcoin, the progressive movement and what that looks like for the future. So, uh, Mark, just give people, you know, your last set of uh, shout outs or any way that people can get you on social media, things of that nature. Yeah, I'll say one final thing here, uh, which you made me think of uh, with regard to your comment of um, survivor's uh, remorse. And it's maybe the one few things that uh, Mike Novogratz said that I would agree with, and that's um, be a, a baller, meaning be generous. Yep. And that is what we're going to need in this time going forward, because I think there's going to be a lot of anger for people who aren't on this boat. Yep. And the only way to help mitigate that is to be generous with your time, be generous with your resources and try to help people not only onto the boat, but also um, just even survive. Yep. And so, be a baller, be generous, be kind, don't get triggered. And uh, because extending that hand is far and away more gratifying than any green candle out there. And um, I can't emphasize that enough. As far as send-offs um, at the progressive uh, Bitcoin or BTCR on Twitter, and then the website, um, the progressive Bitcoin uh, in full, Dot com and there you'll see uh, all the episodes for our podcast as well as um, a curated uh, resources page for articles um, addressing a lot of the, the issues that we've talked about with regard to how Bitcoin can help foster positive changes for individuals in the communities that uh, they live in both here domestically as well as uh, internationally and um, very proud of what we've created and Again, very grateful for having me on your podcast, Adu. Once again, Mark, Stephanie, thank you for coming on the Bitcoin source and giving people, you know, insight and light on how you source your Bitcoin. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Dadu.